On Fairway Roland, Joe House and Nathan Hubbard are joined by a rotating cast of Ringer and Golf World personalities to break down the latest in golf headlines and news. They also delve into the world of golf gambling. Check out Fairway Roland on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with Fandle, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Coming up on New York, New York, the Yankees finally get a win against those pesky Tampa Bay Rays. The Mets, well... Washed out. Why did they play? No idea. Plus, Frank Kaisola on all the basketball. How about the emergence of my dude, R.J. Barrett, two of the last three nights? Plus, we got Masters recap with our guy, Jared Smith, handicapping some NBA futures, and listener voicemails. New York, New York, Ringer Podcast Network, coming up next. Let's roll, baby. It is week two of New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. Hope everybody enjoyed their weekend. Fired up, and I have to admit, the mood and the overall energy of episode four of New York, New York was drastically altered by the events of what happened Sunday afternoon between the Yankees and the Tampa Bay Rays. And I said this when we did the podcast on Thursday night. I expected Tampa to continue to be a house of horrors for the New York Yankees because if you know anything about the Yankees and the Rays, even when the Rays have not been a particularly good baseball team, you know the deal. The Yankees never, and I mean never, win in Tampa, play well in Tampa, and it was shaping up to be a weekend where I thought around 4 o'clock in the afternoon, when the Yankees did not score in the top half of the ninth inning, they were getting swept. I was going to be miserable. I was going to be pulling my hair out. And I'm still not particularly pleased about a lot of the things I saw today and elements in play that I saw over the course of the weekend. But I do believe there are certain games over the course of 162 that kind of mean a little bit more than others. I know it's one out of 162. But just from an overall mood, vibe, type of deal, the Yankees needed a win on Sunday. The Rays beat them a ton throughout the regular season in 2020. 
They knocked him out in the postseason. To get swept in his opening weekend would not have felt good. Finally, the Yankee bat showed you a little bit of a pulse, but it took 10 innings to get going. And there were a lot of at-bats in this game that are going to drive you to drink. I'll give you one for starters. And I'm sure I'm going to get 10 zillion voicemails on this, tweets on this. I fired one out if you were watching the game alongside with me. What in the world is Aaron Hicks doing? Michael Walker is reeling. Michael Walker stinks. You got the bases loaded with nobody out. He's given up a couple of hits, a walk to Aaron Judge. You should be able to blow that sucker wide open. This simple baseball one-on-one. Pitcher is reeling. The guy before you walked. Take a damn strike. It's not rocket science. And if you're going to swing, do some damage. Don't ground into a 4-6-3 double play that basically changed the entire feel of the ball game. Killer. Can't happen. The more alarming trend is why is Aaron Hicks continuing to bat in the three spot? And, you know, the Yankees and Aaron Boone have put themselves in a predicament now where the Clint Frazier, Brett Gardner debate is kind of alive and well again. And the manager has kind of opened up that can of worms because guess what? The last two days, Brett Gardner has been in the lineup. Clint Frazier has not. Even though the manager has said countless times, Clint Frazier is my everyday left fielder. Well, if Aaron Hicks is going to continue to stink, maybe Brett Gardner, dare I say, should be getting a little bit more burn in center field. You got to earn your keep. I, I don't care who you are. I don't care what your contract may be. You're the New York Yankees trying to get to the World Series. You got to earn your keep. So that at bat, I thought, set a terrible tone for this game. And it kind of continued throughout. DJ LeMayu, who is my dude. Anybody who listened to me on JJ After Dark knows how I was banging the drum for them to keep LeMayu at all costs. That I said multiple times it would be catastrophic if DJ LeMayu was not a New York Yankee in 2021. DJ in big spots this year? Not good. Opening day didn't do the job. Didn't do the job the other night when I was there against the Baltimore Orioles. And in this game, bases loaded one out. Grounds into a double play. Comes up with second and third, one out in the ninth inning. Can't get the run home. Very on DJ LeMayu-like, if you will. He's got to be better. He will be. I'm not worried about him. But it's one of the elements that's been plaguing this Yankee team. Their inability to go and get the big hit. Their bullpen saved their ass tonight. Because... You kept waiting for Tampa to break them. Thankfully, in the 10th inning, they didn't. And the Yankees took advantage. Hey, Rugnet Odor, who the Yankees picked up off the scrap heap from the Texas Rangers. Two-strike hitting. Going up the middle. Putting the ball in play. What a concept. Maybe we'll see more of that as the season goes along. you got to be able to get those two-out hits. That will win and lose you ballgames. Not just in April but that will win you games when it matters the most in September and October. And I got to say this, I'm doing plenty of ragging on the Yankee bats so far this year because they've been brutal. They've been tough to watch. Saturday's game, I DVR'd it, ran through it in about two hours after I got off the golf course. I was like, wow, nothing to see here. 
Just zero after zero after zero. So I've been doing my fair share of destroying the Yankee lineup. Sunday, they did their job. And there's one guy, though, specifically, who I think should be given a good amount of praise for his at-bat quality. And that would be Gary Sanchez. You know, Gary Sanchez, in many ways, has become one of the most polarizing players on this team. He's been very up and down the last few years. Last season, he got benched and deserved to be benched in the postseason for Kyle Higashioka. I know the narratives are there, and you'll probably see it on Monday if Higgy is catching Garrett Cole, how much better Cole is when he's working with the quote-unquote personal catcher. But we wanted to see Gary Sanchez get off to a fast start. That's what I've seen so far. And it's not just Gary Sanchez hitting the ball out of the ballpark. I know he can do that. There's no surprise in that for me. It's the way he's taking pitches. The base hit he had in extra innings going up the middle. Two strike hitting where he's not an automatic K waiting to happen. That is the player I need to see throughout the course of this season. And I think if you're looking for what has been to me the most encouraging sign of the Yankee season, despite the slow start, Sanchez would be one. The Yankee bullpen and the job they've done without Zach Britton would be the other. O'Day, I've said for years, can pitch for me any day of the week. He's terrific. Well, why is he get thrown well? Chapman, even though those stare downs, listen, you're staring down, guys, when you throw 101, I get it. But you better be ready for if somebody hits one to the moon, they're pimping that baby. I mean, I'd be pimping that shit. You kidding me? You're going to stand me down after a strikeout? I hit one to the moon? I can pimp it too. You better be ready for that, this Chapman. And unfortunately, I've seen that the last two years in the playoffs. But a good job out of the bullpen, a good job out of Sanchez, and you take the fact that the Yankees salvaged the third game of this series. Won't kill you, especially in a place that's a house of horrors for you. But one element with the Yankees that has bothered me, folks, in relation to the Rays, and I heard it again this weekend, and it really needs to come to an end until I see results change. Stop lecturing me on the fact that you're better than Tampa. Enough! Go and show me that you are better than Tampa. Because they did that all last year. The manager. I heard it from Garrett Cole. I heard it from DJ LeMayu. And I love these guys. Love DJ LeMayu. Don't sit there and tell me you're better than Tampa until you beat them. Because last year I saw the Yankees play the Rays and get punked and get whooped and get beat in the postseason. You want to talk all sorts of smack, be my guest. Go and beat them. That's all. Go and beat them. That should be the memo for Aaron Boone and everybody involved in the Yankee organization. Don't lecture me on talent. Don't lecture me on paper. Go and prove that you're a better team than the Tampa Bay Rays. They'll get a chance next weekend at Yankee Stadium. Take the third game and move on. And it'll be Garrett Cole Monday night against the Toronto Blue Jays. Big series against the Blue Jays. This should be revenge week for the Yankees. Blue Jays and Rays, they both beat you two out of three. Go win these series. Go remind the American League East you're better than these teams. Toronto for three, where you're going to have Cole on the mound. You're going to have Cole pitching in both of these series. 
When your ace is on the mound, you should win. And that brings me to the Mets. And somebody's got to explain to me what the geniuses were doing out at City Field on Sunday. I know because, listen, I'm not going to pretend to be a meteorologist, maybe a marine biologist. You know, that's what I want to be in another life like George Costanza. I, I don't pretend to be a weatherman. But I was maybe trying to get an early morning tea time on Sunday, and I knew the weather was going to be absolutely miserable. I canceled my tea time. That's what practical people do. Why the Mets thought it was a good idea to go and try and start this game, play for a half inning, bag it, and then not get back on the field is just lunacy to me. Stroman tweeted about it a half hour after the fact, and Marcus Stroman and I don't agree on anything. He's blocked me on Twitter. I know. He finds me tough to take. What can I tell you? Feeling at at times is mutual? Not in this case. Stroman was 100% right. 100% right. Game should have never been started when you got Miami coming to town in two more series. On Saturday, though, more of the same with Jacob DeGrom on the mound. I mean, you can't make it up. And I know Tom Verducci who I love, by the way, over at SI and Fox, put together this piece basically saying that Jacob DeGrom is not a hard luck pitcher. I mean, that to me is the perfect example of having a statistic available to back up basically every opinion on planet Earth. Has anybody watched the Mets over the last three years? I know Tom has done a bunch of games. You're telling me the lineup has done the job for DeGrom in these games? Or that the bullpen has done the job for DeGrom in these games. So he loses on Saturday. That's not hard luck. Eight innings, one run, strikeout 14. Nah, that's normal luck, please. Sorry, that's a narrative that I'm just never going to agree with. DeGrom this year doesn't have a win and couldn't have pitched better in both games. And again, you can't squander opportunities to win ball games when you have the best pitcher in all baseball. You got to win those games. When those are L's and not W's, that's the difference between playing in the playoffs and going home. That could be the difference in winning a division or going home. DeGrom is brilliant in two starts. You lose both. Not ideal. And a little friendly advice for the Mets. Can Michael Conforto go down in the lineup a little bit? He's clearly pressing right now. He's got the contract looming over his shoulders. You know Boris is probably in his ear. The Mets didn't go and sign George Springer in the offseason. So basically, they put their eggs in the Michael Conforto basket. Well, right now, a player who has been insanely streaky since he's come to the big leagues in 2015 is in one of those funks where he can't buy a hit. Is he going to be fine? Yeah, I think so. He's too good a player. He'll have his numbers by the end of the year. Get Dom Smith up in the order. Get Jeff McNeil up in the order. Why Jeff McNeil? I don't care what his batting average is a weekend. He hits. He has done nothing but hit his entire Met career. Don't hit him in the seventh spot in the order. It's crazy. Friendly advice. Drop Conforto a couple of pecs. But the Mets played two games this weekend. They split with the Miami Marlins. And now you're antsy for baseball. I know I feel that way from a Mets standpoint. With the cancellation in Washington, with not playing this game here on Sunday, 
with having an off day on Friday, it's been a very choppy and a very uneven start to the year. But even with that being said, some things never change. The Mets don't support Jacob DeGrom. What else is new? We got a jam-packed Monday edition of New York, New York. We have you covered every which way. We have Masters Reaction, a crowning moment for Hideki Matsuyama. Matter of when, not if. We have listener voicemails. And speaking of a listener voicemail, this is going to be now the leadoff spot. I don't know. We're going to maybe change the name of this. I don't know. Maybe it's the Soriano spot because I love Alfonso Soriano so much. His days starting off Yankee games. Maybe the Johnny Damon, who's a personal buddy of mine. I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to figure it out. But we do have a listener voicemail right out of the gate. So what do we got? Hi, JJ. Love the new show. I subscribed right away on Apple Podcasts. The second you guys got on there, I love it. I wanted to talk about the Grom. Now, I know you're a Yankee fan, but you're from New York, so you see this, you see this misery. And my question is, when the fuck is somebody going to grow a set of balls and go into the clubhouse and say, listen, you don't score for the Grom, you're benched. You give up the lead for the Grom, you're fucking cut. Diaz, you're cut. Make a statement. Familia, you're cut. Make a statement. How long is this going to go on for? This is the saddest thing in New York sports history. This is fucking ridiculous. When is somebody going to fix this? Fuck me up the rest, JJ, please. Here's the problem. I don't know how much you can do. Appreciate it. Really appreciate it. I don't know what you can do. The Mets don't score runs when he's on the mound. The bullpen doesn't do the job when he's on the mound. Can't get rid of everybody. But it's a narrative that's got to change. And I don't want to hear about the idea that the team is pressing after the game. The guy's doing his part. Score a couple of runs. It's not rocket science. Listen to voicemails that are coming up. And we're going to welcome in for the first time our first basketball guest to New York, New York. Frankie Ice. Frankie Isola. Formerly of the Daily News. Now of Yes and ESPN fame and serious fame. And he'll probably be mocking my Syracuse education. And we'll try to figure out if Brooklyn is the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. All that more. It's New York, New York, presented by our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. Frankie Ice, up next. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. I figured for our first ever NBA guest on New York, New York, it has to be royalty himself. A guy who is... Certainly no stranger to my shows, although I don't invite him on nearly enough. Does that now go out the window, Frank, I saw, because you are now the first NBA guest to New York, New York? I hope I'm throwing a bone here, okay? Yeah. In, in your last life, they wanted me to come on as like a surprise guest. I said, surprise guest? He never had me on when he had the show. I said, this is going to be some surprise. I'm going to be one of the last guests that he has on his show before he moves on to bigger and better things. But, you know, I think you're throwing me a bone. That's what it is. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on. You've been around New York basketball forever. And now you have this new life, bro, where you are this television superstar working, you know, in the yes booth, doing the net games pre and post. How has that transition been for you? You know, you're an NBA guy. You're this great rider. You're doing around the horn. 
Do you like the idea of doing post-game television for these basketball games? I, I really enjoy the post-game, especially because, you know, in my other life as a writer, that was the thing. You know, post-game, going into the locker room, getting quotes, writing a story, knowing what the story was, and the Nets this year. Listen, there's always going to be a good story, but the Nets are an incredible story because of all the players that they have. They're a compelling team to watch. They're a compelling team to listen to. So it's been it's been a lot of fun. The pregame stuff, eh. I wish I could show up as the game is starting. <laughs> come on at halftime. Come on after the game. I really enjoy that. The pregame is just a bunch of talk. That's so basically you're going to work that in in your next contract. <laughs> We're working on that. I know you have powerful agents, so I feel like I saw it's going to. Let me do the pregame from home, maybe tape a couple of segments, and then boom, I'll drive yeah. to Stanford, do the hit right yeah. after. The I fight. think what's going to happen is they're going to hear what I just said. And they're going to say, Frank, don't worry about pregame, nor worry about Halftime or post game from now on. How about that? It was nice. Naturally. No, but I just like the post game because to me, you're reacting immediately to what happened. That's what I had done for 25 years of my life, covering mostly the Knicks and doing a little bit of the Nets when I first started out. You're a good guy to ask this question to because you've been around New York basketball forever. Have you noticed at all, Frankie, a dynamic changing within the city, within the fan bases? Because look, the Knicks fan is everywhere. They're here, there, they're everywhere. There's established brand, if you will. The Nets, they have their jersey base. They have a few hipsters in Brooklyn, but it's not the same. Do you think that's changing? Do you think it will change more if they win? Where do you kind of stand on that at this well, point? Well, also time? remember, too, they went from, in a short amount of time, they were at the Meadowlands, then they went to Newark, almost like on a rental basis, knowing they were going to Brooklyn. So I think they're going to start to establish more of a fan base in Brooklyn, but it takes sometimes a generation. A lot of the Nick fans, when you're hearing from a lot of these Nick fans in their 20s who, you know, were passionate fans, that's being handed down like anything is usually from their parents. Maybe it's their father, maybe the mother, maybe both, maybe an older brother, older sister. But here's the thing. So, and all those fans, those Nick fans in their early 20s really haven't experienced any type of winning. At least the Brooklyn Net fan over the past 20 years has been to two finals. And right now they have one of the better teams in the league. But I think the dynamic, what's interesting between the net and the Nick fan, there's a lot of resentment now towards the nets because it's looked at as almost like a transient kind of team because of the players that they brought in and obviously Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving going there. But guess what? That's the NBA. That's how it works now. And Frank, let's be honest. Any Nick fan saying that they would have taken Irving and they would have taken Durant on their team in a heartbeat, yeah. in a heartbeat. They could say whatever they want now, they would have taken those guys a year ago. I mean, you saw the back page of the newspaper, for goodness sakes. They were drooling over those guys. Yeah. And they are, and the word was for the longest time, and a lot of people that you work with would know this, you know, the word was that that's where they were leaning toward. And then late April into May, all of a sudden things started to shift that it was less about the Knicks and more about the Nets. And I agree with you, even though when Durant got hurt, and I, you know, I was at that game up in Toronto. I thought to myself, should the Knicks really go down this road and sign him, even though they know that he's not, certainly not going to be available for that first year? And what if there's an issue with his leg for the rest of his career? They had already been down this road with uh, Antonio McDice, Allen Houston, Amari Stoudemire. Could they really afford to do that again? And then when I watched Durant play, I'm like, oh, well, maybe they maybe they should have tried to get him. But again, though, JJ, look how many games he's he has not played in a lot of games over two years. Do you have any concern, Frankie, with the fact that this team has barely played with one another? Like, look, when they were on the floor, when they got James Harden, I wondered, is it going to work? Are the pieces going to fit? Is there going to be enough basketball to go around? And that was not a problem. I mean, they came in, they scored 130 points. They're moving the ball like crazy. Harden handles it. Durant is your closer. Kyrie's kind of that number two guy. 
But then, you know, Durant misses time. Irving, he's taking another personal day. Frank, that's another thing, too. These personal days in the NBA, you were around the NBA when guys played 82 games, and I know it's a different world, and Popovich changed it. I know I'm asking you a totally different question here. These personal days in the well, NBA, bro, are tough well, to take. Well, They're tough to take. It's it, What I would want to know, and from like the guys who cover the team, why wouldn't you call the league up, call up the union, and call up the Nets? How many personal days are you actually allowed to take? Is there a certain number? Are you allowed to have unlimited days where you can do this? Because what would concern me if I'm a Net fan, so on the one hand, you are marketing the team, and rightfully so, around Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and James Harden. But this season, you know, they've they've all been in and out of the lineup. Now, Harden is hurt. Kevin Durant has been hurt. Kyrie Irving is just missing games. You don't really know what the reason is. Is that something that could affect him a month from now, two months from now, and in the playoffs? How is that not a concern? How my again, I would just want to know how many person is there a limit? Are you allowed to take as many as you want? Because I would think if there isn't a limit, I would think that he has to be pretty close to reaching that limit. Um, and then these three guys playing alongside one another. Yes, they put up a ton of points, but with all the injuries, personal days, combine it into one. Does that concern you come playoff time? Yeah, it's not going to from this standpoint. I watch Harden play, and he is unbelievable. He's a brilliant offensive player, and he's come in. He's been incredibly unselfish. I actually thought the first two weeks that he was in a Nets uniform, I thought he was too unselfish. He needed to play a little bit more like the, like the Houston Rocket, James Harden, and he has started playing like that before he got hurt. You watch Durant play. Durant never takes a bad shot. He defends. He's a willing passer. And he's been through it before. He's been through it before in clutch situations where he's made big shots. And I always bring up this stat. In his last 10 NBA Finals games, which includes a game that got hurt against Toronto, he's 9-1. and Like, the guy knows how to win. And as long as he's healthy, they will be a very difficult team to knock out in the Eastern Conference. Who they play in the West, if LeBron and Anthony Davis are healthy, that's another story. But... As long as he's healthy, I have no problem with those three figuring out a way to make it work, even if they don't play that many games together. Okay, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Miami. Toughest opponent for Brooklyn. It's, it's weird. Like, I, I, I keep wanting to say Miami just based on experience. and Wow, experience. and that's saying something. Well, you have your run-ins with those folks down no, there. No, you no, know? I, no. I have unbelievable respect for Pat Riley. I just think it's funny how Pat. he has you the do. Miami I'll media and the fans wrapped around well, his that's finger. what I mean. I feel like you had an opportunity to needle them there, and you kind uh, of missed it. Yeah, that's no, why. No, Pat, Pat Riley's the best. He's the godfather. He's done an unbelievable job there. And, you know, he's, made, he's brainwashed all the Miami media and – fans that they have to use the word culture in every paragraph when they're talking about the Miami Heat. So that's a good job by Pat Riley. You know, when they've played Philadelphia, they've had trouble stopping Embiid. The one time they stopped him, Jared Allen was still on the team. And obviously he's now gone. He got traded for James Harden. But I think Milwaukee, I think a lot of the pressure will be off Milwaukee from this standpoint. They've already signed Giannis. So it's not going to be, whoa, if they don't win, they don't get out of the second round. Giannis is gone. All that stuff. Drew Holiday's already signed. And Giannis is not going for MVP. So he's not going to walk in to the playoffs this year as a three-time you know, uh, consecutive MVP. So I think a little pressure will be off them. I think they can be a very dangerous team. But again, JJ, you tell me what the health of the Nets is going to be. I think if Kevin Durant and James Harden are available, I think it's going to be very, very difficult to knock them out four times in a seven-game series. You spent a lot of time in those Nick Heat days. Those are my glory days, Frank, so of 78, 73. But yeah. I miss it, man, because those teams hated one another. You had Riley and Van Gundy on the sideline coaching against one another. Stan and Tibbs are assistant coaches, for yeah. goodness sakes. 
What is your favorite personal Pat Riley one-on-one interaction? There's got to be one all your years around the NBA. Do you have one that kind of stands <laughs> well, out? And, and, you know, we, I was lucky enough because, so they played each other four straight years and all the series went the distance. Back then, the first round series, as you know, were three out of five. So they Can played, they go? I wish they went back to three out of five. I do, I, well, well, always so get, the four out of seven, I feel like it's a waste a lot of the time. And it's I a waste. Give feel, me some fun. If I was playing Michael Jordan and the Bulls, I almost would rather play them in the first round because I think the chances of me beating them three times are a lot better than me trying to beat Michael oh, Jordan no four times. I no think doubt. it adds a sense of it, it creates an environment for an upset. I like the three out of five, but we all know it's a money thing. But, you know, so back then they played each other twice in the uh, first round and then two times in the second round. So that was 24 games. I got to sit courtside for all 24 of those games. And the intensity of that rivalry with Alonzo Mourning and Tim Hardaway and you had Patrick Ewing and Charles Oakley, Larry Johnson. And I still remember to this day Pat Riley's face after they lost game four. So this would have been in 98 when they lose game four. And Alonzo Mourning had gotten into the fight with Larry Johnson. And, and Van Gundy's I, hanging on to his leg. Exactly. Like what they call it, like a chihuahua hanging on to like a mailman's trouser. That's what that's what it was. So when Pat's walking off the court, because where we're sitting, it, it was right there where the visiting team would exit, like right through the scorer's table. And Pat Riley's face was completely white. He was as pale as a ghost. It was like he was walking off the court that night thinking that they had lost the series. And sure enough, when the Knicks went back for uh, went to Miami for game five, they I think it was a wire-to-wire win that they had. Charles Oakley was the starting center. Oak had a big game. In fact, he had a dunk in that game. Might have been the only dunk he had all season. But in terms of intensity, it was – and that's when the whole Van Gundy-Pat Riley thing really changed, as you know, after that game five in 97, when it was this big argument about who started the fight and who came well, on Well, for the what it's worth, Frank, I think that's the best Nick team that had a chance of knocking off Jordan. Am I crazy to say that? That team that beat them the final game of the year at the United Center? Yeah, they had 57 wins that year, and you're 100% right. And, J.D., think about how much the NBA has changed. Go look at the box score from that game. Everybody played. Michael Jordan played the last what game of the regular season. What a concept, by the way, in game 82. Sc- what a concept. Scottie, exactly. Scotty Pippen played, and late in the game – the Bulls had a chance to win. Pippen took a three, and it was an air ball. And the Knicks were so confident that they could beat the Bulls. So in 97, where did they go? They went to – they swept Charlotte, right? And they were up 3-1 on Miami in that two, series. Yeah, you're right, 3-1. And we actually thought – so we're going down to Miami for game five, and we're thinking if the Knicks win, are they going to go home to New York or will they go right to Chicago? For the Eastern Conference Finals, like we were, we were all convinced that they were playing Chicago. Now, me, I always was a huge Michael Jordan guy. I wanted to see the Knicks beat the Bulls, but in my heart, I never felt four out of seven times the Knicks could have beaten the Bulls. But it's a shame that was. If you look at the '90s, I think that's the one series that everyone missed out on because I think Knicks Bulls '97 would have been a classic, classic playoff series. Do you think it ate at Pat Riley? Listen, he's won everything. I mean, as an executive, as a head coach, but Van Gundy is his assistant. And aside from that series, which I think we could both agree on, Frank, if they don't have all the mass suspensions, the Knicks beat the Heat yep. that year. I yep. think they would have beat him. Did it bother Riley to no end that he couldn't beat Van Gundy? I definitely think those those next three years it did. And especially as the higher-seeded team in 98, 
99 and 2000. And the 99 one, that was their year because Michael Jordan, JJ, it's his first year out of the league. And the Knicks are the ones that make this run and go all the way to the finals. Miami, that was their opportunity. And so Pat Riley at that point had never been to an NBA finals. So he's thinking, you know what? Jordan's out of the league with the team that I got. If we could play, they would have played San Antonio. They pro- I think they likely would have lost to San Antonio, but they could have given them a good series, a better series than the Knicks did. Because as you know, no Ewing, no uh, Larry Johnson got hurt in game one. So he was never the same. The Knicks were all banged up for that series against the San Antonio Spurs. But I think you're right. I think it does drive Pat Riley crazy a little bit. But guess what makes up for it? Three championships he's won. Yeah, I know. Don't remind me. Don't remind <laughs> me. Do you, do you get the sense, by the way, going back to that time period, how like interesting it was, the whole Ewing theory that Bill Simmons talks about all the time, how like some Nick fans were like convinced they were a better team because Patrick's body was betraying him at the end of his career. And, you know, the Knicks, they were playing that high-flying style back then. I know high-flying yeah. now, it's like a different world. Yeah. But with Marcus Camby and Sprewell Spree. and Allen Houston, did you kind of have some fun, like, toying with the idea if the Knicks were better off at that time period without Patrick? Well, 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 here's the thing, though. And I think I remember going over to Patrick. So in 2000, when they lost to Indiana, they got knocked out in Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals. And a lot of... And a lot of times in the second half, when Patrick would get the ball, you can hear an audible groan in the arena. And and if you look at Patrick's stats that year, he was playing less minutes. He was taking less shots. And yet he was still getting most of the blame. And I really think after that game six, like I remember walking into the locker room, you know, Patrick after the games used to wear the big terry cloth robe, the blue robe, and he'd have both of his feet in an, in an ice bucket and his knees were wrapped in ice. And I never, he had this like look of, he was bummed out, but he almost had this look of, you know what, it's over here. And I remember like I said something to him, I said, you know, sometimes I almost feel like the fans don't deserve you. And he like looked up and he said, yeah, sometimes I don't know. And that was it. That was the last game he ever played for the Knicks. And I felt, I understand what you're saying. I think Patrick felt that way. That yes, maybe a little less of me will be helpful to the team. So he did less. He played less minutes. He took fewer shots. And yet when the team lost, it was, well, it's Patrick Ewing's fault. And I think he was thinking, hold on a second now. Everyone else is doing, they're the ones that are supposed to elevate their games and do more. I'm doing less and you're still blaming it on me. Well, and you don't realize how good you have until it's gone. Because then you look at 20 years of Nick basketball, it's an embarrassment. And look, to try to document what move out of all of them is the worst, Frank. <laughs> I mean, I we, we could do five hours in a podcast documenting all that sort of stuff. But in many ways, though, that trade they made right out of the gate where they got Glenn Rice and they got Travis Knight. And they took on all those ter- terrible salaries. Shandon Anderson, Howard Isley. In, in many ways, Frankie, that kind of set off the wheels of what the next 19 or 20 years were going to be. I know. It's what the Knicks should have done. They should have sucked it up. And then maybe the next season would have gotten ugly with Patrick on the team, but they just should have kept Patrick on the team and let the contract run out as opposed to trying to hold on and then trading him and to make the contracts match or taking all these guys back is a mistake. And I would bet you that Patrick looks back at it on it now. And says, yeah, because you know, seeing him in a Sonics jersey and a Magic, Magic jersey, that was horrible. Right? 100%. That was brutal. And, and I'm sure for him, I'm sure he, you know, in that again, in that moment where you lose to Indiana, you're really upset about it. You feel like, you know, nobody wants me here anymore. Sometimes things are done, you know, you're almost too emotional. But again, that trade was made in September. It almost went through a month earlier. 
Then it was made in September. I, I never liked that trade from the start. They all just should have sucked it up. You know what, Patrick? Tough luck. You're under contract. Play here. And here's the thing about Patrick. What do you think he was going to do? You think he was going to take personal days? He was going to he was going to keep playing. It's Patrick Ewing. Did you ever think Jeff Van Gundy, when you were covering him as a head coach, would be this like broadcasting superstar, <laughs> basically throwing everybody under the bus, bellyache, and he's the best. Like when you hear Jeff on TV, he cracks me up. Did you see that coming a mile away, or did that surprise you? No, not really from this standpoint. Um, so when Jeff first took the job, myself and two other writers, Thomas Hill was at the Post, Mike Wise was at the New York Times. We went to Jeff's room in Philadelphia. You know, there's like old school reporting, like bang, knock on his door. He opens up the door. Can you imagine that? By the way, you knocking on the door of a head coach, travel. <laughs> exactly. Imagine that travel with the team, Frank. What a concept! And he, and he let us, you know, he let us in the room and he sat there. We talked to him for maybe. Did he 20- have the diet coke? By the way, was that sitting was to the there. side? Of there course. you go. So they played Philadelphia on that night, a terrible Philadelphia team, which beat the Knicks. Then on Sunday, which was Selection Sunday, this was in March of '96. The Knicks beat the Chicago Bulls. That's Jeff's first win. That was the Derek Harper game, correct? Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. So all before the game and after the game, Phil Jackson kept entertaining the idea of being the coach of the Knicks. Which was the absolute worst, by the way, Frank. I mean, it was the ultimate tease. The Knicks fan couldn't stand it, as you know. They're like, enough. And sure enough, we know what happened. So so here's what happened. So Phil does that. And then a couple of days later, we were in Dallas, and the Knicks were practicing there. And we interviewed Jeff after the practice. And then at the end, we're standing there. He said, hey, turn off your your, uh, tape recorders for a minute. And he said, what do you think of Phil Jackson campaigning for the Knicks job? And we said, I don't know. What did you think about it? And that's, he was waiting for that. And he just went off. And then he let us use some of that stuff. And that kind of started the whole thing when he used to call him big chief triangle one time before the season, Phil had come out with a book about Indian artifacts. So we asked Jeff, (laughs) we asked Jeff, what'd you do during the off season? He said, I, you know, I did a lot of digging for Indian artifacts to help improve the team. So Jeff, listen, Jeff is a smart guy. Jeff went to Yale right out of high school, but because he wasn't playing, he transferred to a junior college in Northern California. His mother wanted to kill him. Like he was smart enough to get into Yale. Jeff is not dumb and he's got a pretty sharp sense of humor. That's for sure. Well, Frank, and I always loved that he went after Jordan. People are like, oh, you got Jordan fired up. You know, That's he's calling nonsense. him the con man and whatnot. Jordan wanted to kill the Knicks anytime he played him anyway. Anybody who thought Jeff Van Gundy threw more fuel to fire. And by the way, his point on what he had to say about Michael Jordan, the idea that he would lure people in and kind of sucker them in. You're my buddy. You're my pal. Let's do Space Jam. And then I'm going to step on your throat was a thousand percent accurate. No, I, I I agree. And so when they played that game in Chicago, if Jeff was worried how he would be perceived, he could have double team Michael Jordan the whole game. What the Knicks would do is they would play Jordan straight up. And then in the fourth quarter, they would start running double teams at him to make other guys have to make shots. That was a one point game. So as Jeff always says, well, if he got so fired up and he was so mad at me, how come they didn't blow us out? The Knicks were in that game right up until the end. You know what it was? It was just a Michael Jordan is the great Michael Jordan that everybody loves. Nobody likes the Knicks, the New Yorkers and Jeff Van Gundy. So that was, that just made for a better story that Jeff Van Gundy pulled on Superman's cape and Superman went out and beat the Knicks by a hundred points. That wasn't really the case. Jordan had a great game. But the Knicks played him the way they always played him, and it almost worked late in that game. Give you credit for this because you were all over it five, six years ago, and I hopped on board, so I'm taking some credit too. (laughs) Tips to the Knicks should have happened seven years ago. 
thank God. The guy is a lifer. He loves coaching. You could tell the organization means something to him. Seems right, Frank, that he's back coaching his team. No, and he's always wanted this job. And, you know, the one thing about Tom, he's going to throw everything he has into it, and he's going to make players around him better. So when people start talking, oh, look at Derrick Rose. Oh, what happened with Derrick Rose in Chicago? Derrick Rose went running to play for Tom in Minnesota and now in New York. Taj Gibson is back. Tom makes players better. When players get better, guess what they do? They get paid. That's what players want. And he brings a winning culture. Look what he did. Minnesota hasn't had made the playoffs for 13 years. He comes in the second year they make the playoffs. Everyone's miserable that they made the playoffs. You think Nick fans are going to be miserable if the Knicks make the playoffs this year? <laughs> Everyone's going to be over the moon. That's how you develop a culture. This idea of constantly losing does not work. It just doesn't work. Yes, can you get high picks? But they've been getting high picks. Yeah, as exactly, you know, they haven't been swinging for the fences with these high picks. Exactly. Just saying, um, who is the one guy... If you had a free agent to go add to the core that they have with Randall, with Barrett, if if Frank Isola could pick one player this summer to put on the Nick roster, who would it be? Well, you're going to think I'm nuts, but do you think maybe they'd go after Chris Paul? He's too old. He's too old. I That's... wanted Chris Paul last year, Thank by you. the way, and I got mocked by people. That... They were trying to tell me that Westbrook was the guy. I'm like, no, 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 no. You, you, Westbrook, no, 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 no. Paul was the guy to go and get. Yeah. You and I have a lot in common, do you? Yeah, it's just Syracuse. I got got accepted to Maryland. You got uh, your application denied. (laughs) That's okay. You're you're, you're lost. You're lost. You missed out on the fraternity of Syracuse. I I, I agree with you. And I thought when I had heard that they were going to go after Chris Paul last year because of the relationship with Leon Rose, oh, this this isn't the kind of guy we want. Look how it's working out for Phoenix. The guy, he makes his younger teammates better. Look what he's done for DeAndre Ayton. Look what he's done for Mikel Bridges, of course. Look what he's done for Devin Booker. Having a guy like that. Chris Paul is a nasty, serious kind of guy. He's going to elevate everyone on the team. He's going to hold players accountable. He works the referees. That is a winning player. That, that would They need to get a veteran player like that who really could kind of bring the group together. I like Barrett a lot. He's tough. He finishes around the basket. Frankie, if he could just hit the outside shot, he's going to have a really good NBA career. Yeah, and, I'm a big Barrett guy. Yeah, and I think, JJ, what happens is we see it even in football. Look at Sam Darnold with the Jets. I It used to be we allowed kind of the players to come in and develop. It seems like now we look at them for maybe a year or two and say, like, right, now let's move on to another guy. You have to kind of let it, you know, let these players mature, nurture them, let them develop their games. R.J. Barrett is still a young guy, and and Tom will make him a better player, and he seems like the kind of guy that's dedicated who wants to get better, which a lot of times is more than half the battle. We get Nets, the Lakers in July. I don't even know when the NBA Finals is. Don't even ask <laughs> me what this guy. The calendar is so out of whack. I was going to say June, but I know it's not going to be June. But long story short, are we getting Nets and Lakers? I'm, I'm worried about LeBron because, you know, they're saying he's going to be out a little bit longer. Now, home court advantage isn't going to matter for LeBron James and the Lakers. So if he is healthy, it's tough to beat him four times in the playoffs. Who's I, knocking LeBron off then? If it's going to be somebody, is it Denver? Well, is it the Clippers? Is I, it Phoenix? I'll say this about Denver, and I like that trade that they made for Aaron Gordon because as long as Aaron Gordon embraces his role as a guy that's not going to take, you know, five 30-foot jump shots per game and is going to defend, cut to the basket, and Nikola Jokic will find him and he'll dunk the ball. Denver could be dangerous. I really think. And so, listen, the Clippers, if Rondo plays like he did last year, they could be dangerous. Once again, the West, right this minute, the West looks wide open because of the uncertainty surrounding LeBron. Now, if LeBron comes back healthy and so does Anthony Davis, all of a sudden they seem more like the lock than the other teams. I know you're a TV superstar, but I got to know. 
Final one. When are you writing the book? It's got it's to happen, man. <laughs> All those years at the Knicks and Riley and Van Gundy and Tibbs. Come on, Frankie Ice. We M- want the maybe book. Maybe one day. Get your, get your boss to uh, sponsor it and maybe I'll do it. Man. Well, I was going to say, I feel like that's a nice little collaborative partnership maybe I could try and set up. I don't know. <laughs> I could be the meeting of the minds, man. I like I think, this. You, to get me, you could just text me. To get your boss, you have to go through different, like 18 different channels. And, you, you know, he's up in like sitting in some castles somewhere. It's not well, that easy. I, maybe one day I'll be sitting in that castle with you. you <laughs> you're know, on, maybe. That, you're on that path, that's for sure. Thank you so much for joining us. We needed a heavy hitter right out of the gate. The great Frank Isola. Thanks, Frankie Ice. Go Cuse. Look at you <laughs> sucking up. We got voicemails. We got tweets. We got all the gambling stuff. New York, New York, right here. Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Great stuff there with the Iceman. And listen, I could talk basketball with Frank Isola all day, every day. And I could tell you this, my mood is definitely brightened that much more. After a Yankee win, and now a New York Knickerbocker hold on for dear life type of win. And that's kind of the Nick run over the last couple weeks. It feels like every single one of these games comes down to nitty-gritty. They lost a bunch over the last two weeks. Friday, to me, was one of those games they absolutely had to have. They played like absolute garbage for three quarters, found a way in the fourth quarter. And listen, I can't say enough about what I've seen from year one to year two when you see R.J. Barrett on the court. Barrett in that game Friday night, going at Morant, game on the line, finishing, tying the game, and then hitting big free throws, hitting the corner three. And you saw it tonight here against Toronto. This was a game that would have been catastrophic if the Knicks go and find a way to lose. They're smoking the Raptors for a half. We know the Raptors right now can't wait for their season to come to a close. They're not playing games in Toronto. They've had a ton of injuries. It has just not been their year. They're coming off two feel-good years. They're allowed a mulligan. Certain franchises are allowed a mulligan. Toronto is one of those franchises. You can't lose that game. And when the Knicks are getting outscored basically like 18-2 in the third quarter and get outscored 34-22 to in the third quarter, I'm thinking this is going to be a disaster. To the Knicks' credit, you're finally seeing some of these results even out a little bit. They lost a bunch of the close games over the last two or three weeks. Now they win one, a game they had no business winning Friday night against Memphis, and they make big plays in the clutch here against Toronto. Burks has been terrific, but I got to say this about Burks. It speaks to the problem they have come playoff time, if they get there, and the problem they're going to have against any big-time team. Alec Burks cannot be a clutch point guard in the final waning minutes of these NBA games, come on now. He's a guy who can shoot the ball. He can make a play when need be. 
He's one of those unsung heroes of the season. I don't think there's any question. He cannot be running the point, though, if you're going to be a team that's a viable, legitimate contender. So, newsflash for the Knicks. They got to go get themselves a point guard in the offseason, but we all know that. That's the worst-kept secret on the planet. Randall looks like a guy. Here's a negative note on the Knicks. Let's run out of gas a little bit. And this is not some narrative to destroy Tom Thibodeau and running his guys into the ground. What do you want the guy to do? He's trying to build a culture. The Knicks roster is not particularly good. He needs Julius Randle if he's going to be playing in the postseason this year. So I'm not making this narrative about Tibbs. It's just a reality of, well, Julius Randle looks a little beat up. Julius Randle looks a little, dare I say, hurt. And guess what? He's got to suck it on the final way to play big minutes for this team because he's their go-to. But Barrett, in many ways, and his evolution and the way he has delivered in the clutch moments of these games. How does that not fire you up? And look, I understand he's always going to be forever compared to Zion Williamson and John Morant. That's just the unfortunate nature for R.J. Barrett. You had Nick fans, not all, not all, it's not fair to say all, but a quotient of Nick fans who had the audacity to say after one year, oh, this kid can't play, can't shoot, can't do this, can't do that. That corner three is looking awfully sweet, if you ask me. Awfully, awfully sweet. And he's not afraid to shoot it here in these big moments. I can't get enough of R.J. Barrett's game. And I think that is going to be my big takeaway throughout the rest of the spring and into the summertime. That I believe with the way he works his tail off, maybe he could take his game to another level. Talking All-Star and R.J. Barrett in the same sentence is not an unreasonable take at all. And it shouldn't be, considering he was the number one high school player just a couple of years ago. And he was the number three pick in the draft. He's coming out of a program like Duke. This guy's the limit. And he's 20 years old. Guy can't even buy a drink. He's 20 years old. He is a terrific, terrific talent. And the Knicks won a couple of games here. They desperately needed to win. You want to avoid that playing. That, to me, would be a hell of an achievement. And right now, if you look at the standings in the Eastern Conference, look, I do not see the Knicks ahead of Miami. I think they're a better team. And I know they're a game back of Boston. I don't think they're going to be ahead of Boston with the schedule they have coming up. But you can dare to dream. I would say top six in the East will probably be Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Atlanta, Miami, and Boston. And I think you'll have Charlotte, the Knicks, Indiana, and Chicago in that plan. Perfect world, you're not in the plan. Asking a lot, though. Couple of good wins, though. With the schedule they have coming up, these were two games I looked at where I said, you got to find a way to win. Steal one against Memphis. Hold on for dear life against Toronto. Take it and move on. As far as the Nets and what we saw against the Lakers the other night, I put absolutely no stock in it. I think my bigger problem, to be honest with you, is the fact that Kyrie Irving is taking another personal day. I mean, my goodness, what a disgrace. What a disgrace. And I get it. It's the NBA. It's the world we live in. I, I wish, by the way, I could come and go as Kyrie Irving comes and goes. I'm not making $40 million a year to do this podcast. I understand that. I'm not Uncle Drew. I'm not as cool. I'm not as hip. My goodness, though. I, I, I see that today on social media, and I chuckle. I'm sorry. I chuckle. Taking a personal day. Can't make it up. 
$40 million a year. He better play great in the postseason. Listen, that entire net team, they better play great in the postseason. I don't care what they've done this regular season. They built that team to win in money time. I don't worry about their chemistry. I worry about if they got to deal with some adversity, how they're going to handle it. I also worry about what kind of defense they're going to play. And if you had the Knicks laying three tonight, you had to sweat it out. Win is a win. Cover is a cover. And how about the fact that the Knicks, three and a half point favorites against the Lakers. Who would have imagined that? And I can't believe I'm saying this. This is a winnable game for the Knicks. This is a game they should get with no LeBron, with no AD, and the fact that the Lakers have spent three days now, not in a normal New York City. It's a COVID New York City, but still three days in New York nonetheless. I don't care if it's the second night of a back-to-back. That should be a very gettable and a very winnable game. All right, folks, now it's time. Listener voicemails. And again, if you're wondering how to get in touch with New York, New York, it's a great question because we are new. It is episode four. And I can guarantee you, it is a promise of mine. You'll be a part of every single show. Here's how you do it. 917-382-1151. Simple as that. 917-382-1151. You let it rip. You get whatever's off your chest, and we make some magic, like we always do. Let's lead it off. Part two. What do we got? James, John from Long Island. I'm wondering what you think the Yankees should do about Domingo Herman. Look, I know it's early, but the guy doesn't look good. He's been a mess off the field. And I think it might be time to get Daisy some regular starts. He looked great last year. Let's get some experience under his belt, and maybe he could be a quality starter in the playoffs. What do you think? Thanks. Appreciate it, John. Tough to have, you know, patience with Domingo Herman. His off-the-field issues were very tough to take. He's not gone off to a good start. Now, they sent him down to the alternate site. But remember, that's because the Yankees don't need a fifth starter. He's going to be back at some point. And remember with Garcia, it's 162 games. I was bummed he wasn't on the opening day roster. He threw great for the Yankees last year. I guarantee you he will get an opportunity. It's a question of when, not if. Who's next? JJ, the Yankees really needed this win today. Happy they got it. But still, why is Aaron Hicks? batting third to the New York Yankees. The guy comes off, he does not have anywhere near close to a competitive at-bat at the plate. Time to move a guy like Gary Sanchez up in the order. Gary's had a nice start to the season. Another thing, with all this lefty-righty bullshit that the Yankees are obsessed with analytics, the biggest mistake the Yankees made was not re-signing Didi Gregorius. The guy was a leader in the clubhouse, an elite defensive shortstop, a lefty bat, and a clutch lefty bat for the Yankees. This would also eliminate the problems with Glaber's defense is short. You could still have Glaber at second. But that's besides the point. We are where we are now. This is a team that we have. But for the love of God, can we just move Aaron Hicks out of the three-hole? We'd love to hear your thoughts, man. Have a good show. Thanks. I understand Hicks right now is going to be the whipping boy for Yankee fans. I totally get it. His at-bats have stunk. He's not a three-hole hitter. He should not be hitting three in this lineup. The problem is, who do you want in that spot? I'm not moving Gary there. Gary right now is in too good a place. I'm not messing with his equilibrium. You want to tell me in the short term it's Stanton? Fine. You want to tell me at some point it's Glaber? Maybe it's Luke Voigt when he comes back? And you nailed something that's very important. Yankees right now miss the lefty bat and the defensive presence that Didi Gregorius brings to the table. Yankees can do it again. Didi's back on this team. Who's next? Hey, John. It's uh, Winston in Yorkville. Listen, man. 
these Yankees, they should just start declining the run at second on, in the extra innings, if you know what I'm talking about. But a serious question here, why does Brian Cashman get a free pass? Is it because everybody loves him and he does a cute interview and he repels down some buildings? The man has had an unlimited budget for 11 years, and he produces dog shit hitting in clutch moments. They haven't even been to the World Series in the last 11 years. Help me out, JJ. Let's keep it real here. Cashman's got to go if they don't show some results soon. Winston, I love you, and I appreciate your passion. Brian Cashman's been a terrific general manager. I'm not exactly looking to run Brian Cashman out the door. Here's the bigger problem, though, with the Yankees. It is the arrogance in which they kind of approach where they've been over the last few years, pounding their chest when they haven't been to a World Series and haven't won a World Series. Yeah, I think the overall construction of this lineup is flawed. Yes, in a perfect world, I'd like to make some changes. But for better or worse, this is going to be the team you have throughout 2021. Maybe a tweak here, a tweak there. Way too right-handed for my liking and entirely too reliant on hitting the home run. What's next? JJ, what's up, my brother? Alex from Newark. Hope you are doing well. I, I mean, it never ceases to amaze me. The New York Mets, they are by far the biggest embarrassment in professional sports. I mean, the laundry list. They can't get their managers right. And when they win a game, like they won a game, their opening day game, and then they're celebrating like a bunch of clowns. I didn't watch the end. I mean, were they ripping off shirts? They like that rip off the shirt thing. Yeah, let's rip it off. And they can board to a win, a win, a win, a win. And poor Donnie. And here's the thing, Major League Baseball, this little memo. Maybe instead of worried about being woke, oh, we're woke Major League Baseball. We're going to put in the All-Star game. Maybe you worry about getting calls right and not screwing up games. How about that? Maybe instead of reviewing a play that one inch is different, like one centimeter, the guy's out or safe and they overturn a call that affects the game, maybe you do the obvious stuff. And they can board it like a little clown. No, the Mets are embarrassed, honestly. They are a biggest embarrassment of a team. I haven't checked that clown owner's Twitter yet. Is he mouthing off? Oh, that was easy, yeah. And then these refs go big over the headsets. Those, those headsets. Oh, the game's over. Oh, duh, duh, duh. I, I'm sorry. I, they're, they're an absolute joke. MLB's a disgrace. They're, they're a disgrace. We got to get Alex in Newark, by the way, to shorten those voicemails. I love Alex in Newark. He is one of our legends from our old program on JJ After Dark. We got to get Alex within the minute memo there. I think Alex wanted to come in and call us the show. A couple of things here. What do you want the Mets to do? They got a gift. We all know it the other day. Conforto got a gift. The team got a gift. They ended up winning the game. What do you want them to do? Walk off the field with the heads like in shame? Do you want them like, you know, tucking the tail between the legs because they won a ball game? It was cheap. We documented this the other day. It was a very, very cheap win. I'm a Yankee fan. Jeffrey Mayer in 1996 was a very cheap win. It happens. Listen, have the Mets embarrassed themselves at times as an organization? Yes. We'll see if that's going to change that with new ownership. I think with new ownership here, the feel, the vibe, a lot of stuff around the team should be a lot different. Alex, I love you. A minute, baby. Maybe we'll use that as a teaching point. A minute. Who's next? What's up, JJ? Uh, name's Cliff from Syracuse, New York. Uh, newer listener, first-time caller, really loving the show so far. Man, I feel like I just wasted my entire Saturday afternoon watching this 
Mets lineup absolutely fail Jacob DeGrom yet again. Absolute pitiful. It was disgusting. DeGrom had 14 strikeouts in 83 pitches in the seventh inning at one point. Absolute masterful performance by DeGrom. He had one run. He gave up one home run, and the Mets couldn't score a single run. He got a loss for eight innings, 14 strikeouts, one earned run. Unbelievable. Tom DeGrom, I'm not signing any extension. It's sad. It's sad. Thanks, AJ. Cliff, I love you in the 315. I'm rocking my Pearl Washington shirt for those of you who are uh, wondering if I bleed orange. I think you know that I bleed orange. That goes without saying. Yeah, DeGrom right now has gotten a straight end of the stick. It's why I laugh when I read these stories. Basically trying to say, oh, he's not exactly a hard luck candidate. I mean, based upon what? Some random, obscure statistic that we want to put together? It's just, watch the games. I mean, sometimes don't let the eye test fool you. We do that way too often in sports. Don't let the eyes deceive you, folks. What you see is what you see most of the time. Who's next? Hey, JJ. Charles from Queens. First time, long time. Congratulations on being on the ringer. Got a question about the Jets. I feel like they got a really good deal for Sam Donald. I was worried we were going to end up with a third, fourth, maybe like a fifth round pick for him, and that's it. I think we got three picks. I think that's great value. I'll always be rooting for Sam, but it was time to move on. Bring on the Mormon Mahomes. My second question is, just got an Aaron Judge jersey. He's already hurt again. I'm nervous. Should I return the Aaron Judge jersey and get a new Yankee jersey? And if so, which Yankee should I get? Love the show. Thanks for having me on. Charles, you can't be abandoned ship on that Aaron Judge jersey. Come on. As frustrated as I get with his injuries, the guy is the face of the Yankee franchise. And I think at some point in time, could be named the next captain of the team. Very easy guy to like. Very easy guy to root for. Can't be abandoned ship, despite the injury concerns. And slow your roll a little bit with the Mormon Mahomes. Please. You may like Zach Wilson a ton. To try to compare him to the best player in football by leaps and bounds, big mistake. Big, big mistake. What's next? Hey, JJ. This is Tim from Atlanta, transplanted uh, Long Islander. Uh, huge Rangers fan, huge Islanders fan. Uh, no, you've got to talk about New York sports, but I haven't heard too much hockey. Hoping I can get your take on uh, how the Rangers are doing, how the Islanders are doing at the top of the, top of the division. The Rangers can make a push. They throttled the Penguins last week, 8-4. Uh, wanted to get your uh, take on all things New York hockey. Listen to you on the other end. Thanks a lot. Timmy, appreciate it. And I've seen you hockey people. Don't you worry. Come playoff time, I got you covered. The Islanders are clearly the team right now who's got the best chance of doing something out of the three locals. They've been in the playoffs the last couple of years. Last year, they were in the Eastern Conference Finals. Made a trade with the Devils for Zajac and Palmieri that they're hoping is going to put them over the top. We'll see if that ends up being the case. They're going to be in the playoffs. They're going to be playing games that matter. The Rangers right now need a whole lot to happen if they're going to be playing postseason hockey, even though they have played much better since their slow start after the first three or four weeks. But if there's a team that you have hopes for, come playoff time. And I love me some Stanley Cup playoffs. We'll be wagering on some Stanley Cup playoffs. The Islanders would be that team. Who's next? Hey, JJ, it's Mike from Stanford. This Yankee game had all the makings of another Trop dud. And thank God they came through, strung up, uh, you know, 
some base hits. No home runs. It was great to see him hit fucking singles and doubles for a chance. God damn. Felt good. But, man, if they lost this game, bullpen was great. And how nice is it seeing Odor get that hit? Oh, love it. He's, uh, I love seeing him do that. And, uh, would love to hear what you think the John Sterling Odor home run call will be. All right. Thanks, bud. That's a loaded one. I can't even begin to what John would be thinking about with Rugnet Odor. That will be a fun one. The John Sterling home run calls and trying to figure them out is a tradition unlike any other. It was a big hit for Odor, though. Two strikes, two outs. The Yankees desperately needed a win in Tampa. That earns them a couple weeks. I don't want to see Tyler Wade ever again. And I know some Yankee fans are going to say they don't want to see Jay Bruce ever again. I would let Odor play against righties. Let him be the second baseman. Let LeMayu play first and kind of go from there. This did have loss written all over it to get a win. And you're right. Not winning with the long ball, it's kind of sexy. I know chicks think the long ball, not in Yankee land. I'm over the long ball. I like a two-out single. I like a guy going first to third. Does that make me a little sick in the head? It might. Or maybe I'm just kind of conditioned to watching a team that all they do is hit a home run and strike out. Way too much of that. Two more. Second to last. Who's up? Hey, JJ. This is uh, Stuart from Brooklyn. Uh, this is with the Mets. If you can't get a run in from third with one out, but twice, I mean, like, what is this shit? Then this, then this, this team deserves every last bit of criticism down three runs in the ninth uh, against the shift, and you, you can't lay a bunt or, or hit a ground ball the other way. And, and, and JJ, someone brought up an interesting point on Twitter. Is it possible that Conforto just isn't himself because of uh, some level of post-COVID fatigue. Good call, Stewie. I love Stewie dropping a little profanity. He's like letting it loose. He hasn't been able to do it for a long time. Uh, now he can do it here on New York, New York. We saw with Syracuse and Buddy Beheim, the COVID effect was real. It was real. It took Buddy Beheim a long time to get right and to get going after, you know, dealing with the virus. And then come February and March, the guy couldn't miss a three-point shot. It might be COVID fatigue. It might be the contract. It might be that he's an insanely streaky player. Could be a little bit of all of the above. Last but not least, who's on the horn? JJ, it's Anthony in Syosset. Listen, as I leave this message, it's Sunday morning, so I still don't know what will happen with the third game of this series versus Tampa. But at the same time, I think I've seen enough. I mean, I'm at the point where I think this Rays organization from top to bottom, I mean ownership, I mean GM, I mean manager, I mean one through nine, I mean pitching, I mean bullpen, I even mean the bat boy. Top to bottom is better than the Yankees right now. I mean, you talked about it on your last episode, this idea that this Yankee team, you know, is playing like it's accomplished something. Well, I have to spread that now to the ownership and to the GM. And I understand the resume, but the bottom line is, is sports in general has to be a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately scenario. And the fact that these guys now can play against the team. I mean, on Saturday, the Yankees' defense is shifting against Tampa. Tampa hitters are finding the open holes. Tampa's starter comes out of the game. Their bullpen comes in, doesn't miss a beat. Yankees' bats, it's the same approach over and over and over, throwing shit out of the zone, swinging and missing with two strikes. It, it, it it's getting to the point, J.J., where I really am starting to wonder, as long as this team is in the way, 
will this Yankee team ever climb a hurdle? And it's April. I don't want to overreact. But they should have fucking come out this weekend with a chip on their shoulder, and they didn't. And to your point, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they act like they've won shit already when they haven't. I think Anthony hit on something that is very important. Now, the Yankees did show you that fire on Sunday. They found a way to win a game that seemed destined to be an L. There is a sense of arrogance about this organization, especially when they talk about Tampa like they're much better. Go prove it. All right, you lose two out of three this weekend, you salvage things. Go beat them. Go make a statement next weekend. Because right now, from 2020 on, the Rays have been a better team. I don't want to hear on paper. What we've seen on the field between those white lines, the Rays have been the better team. We'll recap what was a little bit of a dud of a Masters weekend. We'll get you ready for some futures odds with the NBA playoffs a couple weeks away. Uh, Early baseball season handicapping strategies. My main man, Jared Smith, will join us right here. New York, New York, presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. Well, folks, the Masters are in the books, and Hideki Matsuyama, who has always been one of the best ball strikers on tour, goes and wins his first Masters, and when he's knocking putts down, he's awfully tough to beat. Uh, To recap this weekend, and to maybe uh, set the stage for some NBA Futures activity, trying to figure out how to beat the baseball markets, which are very, very tough to do. The great Jared Smith is back yet again here on New York, New York. Smitty, what up, bro? JJ, I'll be honest. I was hoping for a little bit more drama at the end. I feel like we almost got it. Decky put that one in the water. He was hot on 15. And then the Xander tee shot you on 16. You can't put it in the sand. Well, dude, the Ugh. whole when Hideki puts in the water, Ugh. you got all the momentum in the world. You got to step up to the ball, strike a beauty, stick it on the green, and find a way to eagle that hole. You're down. Your birdie ain't good enough there. No. He ended up having a great chip out of the sand, but you're right. Next hole, any of that momentum, dude, just went completely out the window. Yeah, and you know it's it's kind of funny because on the next hole we've seen the the Masters champions on sixteen kind of have that signature moment, and and even Matsuyama I think bogey that hole and and even the 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 triple for say I mean you just I think that was his first triple in a major ever for Xander Shoffley and what a time for it because that was the moment we had that little we had like a five minute stretch between fifteen and sixteen when it was just a two shot lead and we're like all right hey maybe three to go just a two shot lead maybe Xander parks one in. There they're close at 16, but it went the complete other way. And, and Decky really kind of had a lollipop finish there. I mean, he was just kind of, you know, putzing it around like you and me would on the, uh, on the municipal course, just trying to get up and in on those last two holes. Not, not a whole lot of pressure on him. I think he handled the pressure. Okay. Today. And he hasn't been a guy that really has handled it well in, in, in years past, especially on the putting greens as well. My biggest takeaway from this tournament outside of Matsuyama Jordan Spieth again played terrific. Absolutely. Now listen, I know he didn't win. We talked about it last week, how tough it is to win back-to-back weeks on the PGA Tour. But Smitty, I kind of come away thinking Jordan Spieth can win one of these majors this year. I'm not sure which Mm. one. I got to see which course kind of fits his style more than anything. But when I'm going through these odds next month for the PGA, a couple months for the U.S. Open, Speed's going to be in the back of my mind, my friend. Yeah, I think you've got Tory Pines for the U.S. Open this year, or maybe it's the PGA, and and I know that course has suited him well, and, and obviously we'll see what we get overseas. I'm not sure how his game has been on links courses, but uh, it definitely his, his game is at a point now 
where the number is going to be contingent on it. And, and that was why we didn't bet him this week, JJ, just because the number just had moved so much. I think if, if he was in that decky range, which he was kind of hovering in for a lot of the preamble to the Masters, I think a lot of people would have fired, more people would have fired on speed. People still were betting him, even though the fact that he was, I think, the fourth or the fifth favorite on the board. Um, I, I think another takeaway for me was just how poor a lot of the, some other big favorites were. DJ missed the cut. Mom had a good oh, Sunday. Uh, but obviously short and Justin Thomas, oh. too, was, was, was really tough off in the uh, back nine. I mean, the back uh, two rounds. Oh, Justin Thomas on Saturday. Brutal. He looked like me at Silver Lake Golf Course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my goodness. It was yeah, brutal. Putting the eight up on the scorecard was a killer. Okay, Smitty, we transition now. Masters over and done with. We kind of have this lull between the Masters right after the NCAA tournament. But the NBA playoffs are going to be on the horizon before you know it. Uh, I'm not putting a whole lot of stock in what I see over the next couple of weeks because I think for a lot of these teams, Brooklyn, the mm. Lakers, in many ways, it's like a tune-up before they get themselves ready for the postseason. But I- I'm going to ask you this. From a value standpoint, is there a team that has kind of made noise to the point where you're now interested from you know, a win the Eastern Conference standpoint, a win NBA title standpoint, where you're like, wow, I really, I really like and I'm really encouraged by what I'm seeing out of this particular team. Well, they just moved the Suns number. It was at 30, 35 to one for a long time. And and listen, they have a chance to be the number one seed in the Western Conference. Isn't they that finally, crazy thinking about Phoenix as a number one seed? That's crazy, man. It, it is. Crazy. And, and the, the crazier part was they were booking them kind of like a mid seed, you know, like a five or a six seed in the West for a pretty decent amount of time. And I think the, the the reason for that is twofold. One, there's just not a lot of exposure on Phoenix. All the exposure in the Western Conference is all in the Los Angeles teams. So it's going to take a lot for the books to move that number down. That means that you're getting the better number on a Phoenix, on a Denver, on a Utah, because the numbers on LA, both teams, frankly, obviously the Lakers more than the Clippers, but they're just unbettable. Like there's so much uncertainty around the Lakers. You're not betting them at two to one to win the West right now. I mean, you can do that game by game in the Western conference finals and make that kind of return. So I think the ambiguity of what's happening with the Lakers, with, with AD and LeBron is making the West very hard to bet on unless you're willing to take a flyer on one of those teams Obviously, the standings say that, that the Jazz and the Suns aren't like outsiders, but the, the odds certainly do. In the East, I, I, I'm ready to fade Brooklyn. I mean, I, th- this team is a fo- just a hornet's nest of mental problems and issues and down the stretch, holding leads. Kyrie's taking games off, getting kicked out of games. I mean, I, I, I don't see them holding up mentally over a seven-game series. That's the problem. The Heat are still live to me. 12 to 1 to win the East, 35, 40 to 1 to win the NBA title. They've made all the moves. They've got the pedigree. They still have everybody back from last year. You hope Oladipo's healthy. That knee tweak was weird. But I, I think the Heat still have the, the 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 number and the handicap that you know would make you want to fire a little bit now. Okay. So you look Eastern Conference, team to knock off Brooklyn. You think Miami more so than Philadelphia or Milwaukee? Philly's tough, but you know, and, and I think the rivers move makes Philly a different handicap this year. Whereas last year you were not confident going into a seven game series with Brett Brown as head coach. I think Milwaukee is still, it's funny. I think you're finally getting a fair price on Milwaukee three to one to win the East. You know, I'm seeing 10 to one to win the, to the NBA title. I think that's fair value for them. Last year, they were so overvalued. You had to stay away. I, I, I can't argue Milwaukee because they do have one of the best players in the sport. And again, I I'm looking to fade Brooklyn, all of the value in the East, 
is picking the team that's going to beat Brooklyn in a seven game series. If you think it's Milwaukee, there's value there. If you think it's Philly, there's value there too. I just think the the number is what's attracting me to Miami so much. I think pedigree wise, they're right there with all those teams, yet they're being booked as a team that's kind of a long shot right now. Smitty, on Saturday morning, I'm playing golf with a couple of guys, a couple of Met fans. Actually, every guy I played with on Saturday was a Met fan, so oh I was the outsider. I said to all of them on the first tee, because we're talking about Masters Beaks, you know, we're talking about what we're going to have for a cocktail after the uh, first <laughs> nine. And I told them, I said, the Marlins are plus 240 today. I said, that is way too high a number. The Mets find ways to screw things up in DeGrom starts. I think I should go and bet the Marlins. Of course, I forget to do so. I get a little distracted. And then I get back and I'm watching this game and I'm saying, man, I missed the golden opportunity. Do you look at these DeGrom starts? And we know how great he is and we know how brilliant he is. But because of the way things just seem to go against him, weird shit happens for the Mets (laughs) in games in which Jacob DeGrom pitches. Do we have to start factoring that into our handicaps? No, because baseball is so random, JJ. It's such a random sport. I think betting on baseball on a daily basis is the most humbling thing you're going to do because there's no handicap there other than Jacob DeGrom is better than the Mets or better than the Marlins, but you're not getting a fair price because it's you're not betting just on Jacob DeGrom. Now, there are ways to bet just on Jacob DeGrom, like his strikeout prop, which has been, you know, he's been crushing it. Uh, Actually, I think he's one and one, but he he went over very much in the game you're speaking of. When you're betting on the Mets, you're also betting on the offense. And I think that's the part that is hard for betters to take into account. When you're betting on a baseball game, it's like you're, it's like a binary bet. Like half the bet goes on the starting pitcher. The other half goes on your offense. And then there's even another section of it that is kind of miscellaneous, which is bullpen managerial decisions, I think in baseball, especially at the early stage of the year, the best strategy is to isolate one of those strands. So if you like to bet on a team, I prefer to take juice whenever I can. I prefer to bet dogs. If you want to bet on a pitcher, the first five and the strikeout props are really the way to isolate that. So if you want to bet on the Mets right now and you want to avoid all the madness that happens that JJ is talking about with the crazy crap that goes on during Mets games, just bet on Jacob DeGrom to strike out more batters than than his number is booked as. And you can avoid any of that bullshit that goes on on the back part of that game. Cause you're right. It is. It's, it's for lack of a better word, it's garbage what the Mets are putting together. And then, you know, the Yankees are having problems too, hitting with running scoring position. And Smitty, my advice for everyone, final one, you bet baseball in the early going of this year. Don't bet favorites, bro. Get no, the teams that absolutely. if you're going to bet a favorite minus minus one ten, minus one twenty. Yep. don't go above one twenty five or one thirty on a favorite. My personal take. Yeah, because you got to go 65, 60% to be profitable. And it's not easy to go six out of 10 in baseball. You're going to have that random crap that's going to happen to you throughout the course of the game, throughout the course of the season. It's a long season, too. Smitty Yankin. Good stuff Mm. as always, my friend. We will catch up soon. We'll reevaluate these futures markets. And I know you're already diving in to NFL draft props, which you killed last year. So you better be ready for those. I love it. Mac Jones. Can't bet it anymore. It's on the move too much. Smitty, good stuff, bud. We'll chat soon. Have a good one, JJ. That's Jared Smith over at Sports Grid, always bringing the heat. And remember, New York, New York, you want to get in touch with the show? Very easy. 917-382-1151. We are back on Tuesday. We'll have Kevin Burkhardt joining us. All the Yankees and Mets stuff. Uh, we're moving closer and closer to the NBA playoffs. And yeah, that NFL draft, a couple weeks away. JJ out. Enjoy your Monday. Be good, everybody. Be good.